0: This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons by Rev. Adam Moline of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear friends in Christ, this Lenten season we have been focusing on Old Testament lessons that find their fulfillment in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we could obviously continue to find fulfillment of every single Old Testament lesson that there is in Jesus. After all, Christ himself says about the Old Testament scriptures, these are they that testify about me. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, as Jesus hangs on the cross over and over again, Matthew says, to fulfill the scriptures, this happened. To fulfill the scriptures, that happened. Everything is fulfilled in Jesus. But Lent is only six weeks long. And so, today we come to an Old Testament lesson to summarize all the other Old Testament lessons that we have heard this Lenten season. Jeremiah chapter 25. In Jeremiah 25, we read about the cup of God's wrath. The cup of God's wrath is symbolic of God's anger over our sin. The cup of God's wrath has been filled with the wine of God's wrath since humanity fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. When Satan's lie was believed by our first parents over the true word of God, God's wrath was kindled. When Adam and Eve justified their actions with lies both to themselves and to God, God's wrath increased. When Cain decided that he was the master of life, not God, and murdered his brother Abel, God's wrath was kindled further when the world became so wicked that there was no option left except to wipe everyone out with a worldwide flood, God's wrath grew yet more. When Sodom and Gomorrah chose to rape an angel rather than to listen to the word that he came to speak to them, when Pharaoh hardened his heart instead of listening to Moses, when Israel complained against Moses and God in the wilderness, when David committed adultery, when Solomon grew too big for his britches, when, the list goes on, God's wrath grew. God's wrath is just. God has a right to be angry. In fact, he ought to be angry because we have constantly rejected his word and the one who speaks his word. Yes, I know. That our modern world tells us that God should just take a chill pill, that He shouldn't be so angry all the time. I know those who don't know God's Word just say God is some vengeful, imaginative nation. But it's not true. God's Word is good, it's just, it's wise. God's law is true. It is actually us, sinful humanity, that are at fault. It's actually us who've done wrong. We've caused God's just anger, we've filled up the cup of wrath. This applies not just to Old Testament people, dear Christians. It applies to us as well. Because we all have given in to the exact same sin that those Old Testament people of old did. We've rejected God's word. We've decided our word is better than his word. We've edited and changed what God's word says to match our own opinions and tastes. Satan is still hard at work lying into our ears, and we believe him. In fact, we're eager to believe a false word. We kindle God's wrath. Cain believed that he was the master of life and death. He murdered his brother. He took life, something that is God's, to give and to take. We believe the same thing. We believe that by our actions we can extend or shorten life at our own whim. As if God is not in control. We believe that we have the right to choose who lives and who dies, even within the womb, even before any deed has been done. And we hide our choices by calling them health care, even as we vacuum babies out of wounds, We believe that we should have the right to die by medical assistance, and we even have the pride to call that act of divine mimicry a dignified death. We're fine if we gruesomely modify a body and the life within that body in ways that we don't understand through surgeries and through medicines that affect lives. We think that we are the Lord of life on this earth. So we have no place for God. Pharaoh believed that he could build a utopia on earth. And perhaps perhaps for himself he did. After all, his entire world revolved around himself. What he did, what he thought, what he wanted to build, what he wanted to do. So often we too live lives that revolve around ourselves. But, just like Pharaoh, as we become more and more inwardly focused, we find out we don't like the world that we've created for ourselves. And so we escape into other things. Binge-watching TV, worship of sports and their teams, Twitter, Facebook, and more. We even have today a so-called metaverse, a place where people don't have to live here in the real physical world, but they can go and live out their lives in a digital, imaginary world. It's only existed for a few weeks, but already it's become a place of wickedness and evil, of sexual deviancy, harassment, and yet, people are still flocking in. After all, there they can become their own master, their own king of their own world. Speaking of deviancy, the Sodomites changed God's definition of marriage and the physical union that takes place within marriage. In Genesis, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, rather than hear God's word, wanted a few moments of pleasure with the angel God sent to preach to them. They wanted something abnormal, something beyond what God had created. They even refused Lot's daughter's Instead, wanting that heavenly, beyond-this-world being. We do the same. Deciding that it's okay for someone to throw away the biological reality that God has given to them and to decide for themselves who they are to pick their own gender from an ever-growing list, even if it flies against God's ingrained truth. We have people in our world who cannot even define what the word woman means anymore. We think it's okay in our society to let men compete in women's sports, and those brief moments of pleasure that God designed to take place in marriage now rule every aspect of our life and our world, now are no longer limited to husband and wife instead are exercised with anyone you meet on the street or see on your phone screen. Even in the news this week, Disney said that they were actively seeking to teach our children to be ruled by the whims of their flesh rather than God. Just like Israel in the wilderness, we complain against God. For what? Because God, the Creator, didn't consult us, the creation, about the laws and rules that He wrote, He didn't ask our opinion. Before he spoke his word, he didn't seek our input or let us vote about what should be right and what should be wrong. God spoke boldly, and we ignored him. And we choose to justify ourselves, don't we? To blame our sin on circumstances blame our sin on our family, to blame our sin on others. We're sinners, just like our first parents. We're sinners, like Pharaoh. We're sinners, like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're sinners, through and through. Our sin kindles God's wrath. God is right to be wrathful at our sin. In fact, the cup of God's wrath bubbles over, overflowing because of our sin. If we were to drink the entire ocean's worth of water, we would hardly have scratched the surface to drink the wine of God's wrath over what we have done wrong. And it's this cup of wrath that Jeremiah sees in our Old Testament lesson. Our sin. The sin of the world. God commands Jeremiah that the entire world should drink from this cup. From the people of Israel and Judah. To the people of Egypt. To the people of Buzz, The people of all the lands of the world. Of Edom. Of Moab. All are to drink from the cup that is the poison of God's wrath. God tells Jeremiah that a sip won't do. A small individual cup is not enough. God demands that the world drink of the cup of his wrath until they are drunk upon it. Staggering about, crazed, unproductively trying to vomit out the poison that we have brought upon ourselves. God commands Jeremiah that the world should drink the cup of God's wrath, and he makes clear that that wrath should kill us. That's what would be just, that's what should be right. And so, dear Christians, for the last time this Lenten season, before we begin Holy Week, I beg of you to repent. To repent of your sin, and to fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is God. And Jesus took on our human flesh, becoming God incarnate. Why? For what purpose? What does he hope to accomplish for you and for me? He takes on our flesh to drink the cup of God's wrath for us. To drain it down to the very dregs. To chug it so that we don't have to. Jesus says this with his own words. We'll hear it in just a few days in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it be possible that this cup be taken from me, the cup of your wrath, let it be. But all the same, not my will. Your will be done. Yes, it is God's will that Jesus drink the cup of wrath for your sin. It's God's will that Jesus drain it for you. It's God's will that not one drop be left. For you. How? How will Jesus drink God's wrath? We'll soon hear that also. He'll be arrested. Not because of anything that Jesus had done wrong. But because of your sin. Jesus will be tried and found guilty for all the things that we sinners have done wrong. Jesus will be flogged within a very inch of his life, his flesh ripped open, his muscles torn, his body desecrated almost beyond recognition. Drink God's wrath by having his beard pulled out and thorns beaten into his head with a stick. He'll drink God's wrath by being publicly stripped naked and hung on a cross with nails. Right outside the gate to the city where he will hang for six hours while people walk by, not only seeing him, but often mocking him. He'll drink God's wrath by being numbered with sinners, by going to the cross, When Jesus has drunk every drop of God's wrath for your sin, all of it entirely, he'll breathe his last and die your death once for all. By his death, The cup of God's wrath is finished. It has been consumed. And if Jesus drinks God's cup of wrath, what is it that we drink, dear Christians? Not the cup of wrath, but the cup of life. You drink God's forgiving compassion. Jesus has taken the cup of God's wrath from you and exchange has given you the cup of mercy and love that you will drink from on this night. From this altar rail. You will drink the cup of God's new covenant with his people for the very forgiveness of your sins. The cup of Jesus' blood in with and under wine. And when you have drinken of it, you will taste the sweet forgiveness of sins. You will receive the promise of eternal life. Your sin will be paid for. In your drinking, You are connected with the victory that Christ has won for you. And so, as we gather here in church the next week, as we hear the Passion read, it won't sound like Jesus has won, will it? He'll be beaten, bloodied, and killed. Jesus has one. And in the very same way as you kneel here at the altar, what you drink won't look like blood. It won't feel like you've been given forgiveness. It will just look like cheap wine. Christ's blood is there all the same. And forgiveness is with it. And you won't only drink Christ's blood, you will eat his body. In him is life, and life to the full. And by drinking his blood, you get that life. The life is in the blood, God says. And the blood is in the wine. And when you drink it, the life is in you. God's mercy is in you. God's peace is in you. And that means that when you leave, you leave as a Christian, to live as a Christian, to forsake the world and its lies, to speak the truth about sin, to do what is right rather than what is wicked and evil. To reject the sin that our ancestors have done and that we ourselves have followed in their footsteps. To reject the wickedness that's recorded by people just like us in the scripture. To reject the sin that's recorded in our daily news. To be Christian, to do what is right, to live like we actually belong to God, like his forgiveness and life and salvation are really in us. That's why we keep coming to church. To keep drinking the cup of life. To receive God's gifts. In bread and wine that are body and blood. Dear Christian, God shows Jeremiah what must take place, that someone must drink the cup of God's wrath and pay for every single sin of the world. And Jesus does just that. He's drunk God's wrath for you and given you something much better. In the name of Jesus, amen. This has been With Intrepid Hearts Sermons by Pastor Adam Moline. The words, With Intrepid Hearts, come from the conclusion to the Book of Concord where it is written, By God's grace, with intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession and give an account of it. We will not speak or write anything contrary to this confession, either publicly or privately. By the strength of God's grace, we intend to abide by it.